0: Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to be covering verses 15 through 21 tonight. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. And just kind of let you know, we are going to hopefully get all that in. Maybe 21 won't happen, but 21 will lead into 22 next week. And I know all y'all are waiting for me to get to chapter 5, verse 22, and wives, submit to your husbands. (laughs) <laughs> but just uh, actually, you will be surprised when we actually break that down. You will be, ladies, you will be very, very surprised to see what it's really saying. It has been misquoted, it has been mis- mis- misapplied over the years. It's pretty cool when you really start to take a look at it, what, what's really going on in that whole context. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. Paul says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise If you remember last week, I told you, jump back to verse 10, that we we didn't cover verse 10 last week, because we're going to tie it into where we're going tonight. Verse 10, we saw, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Now, please hear me. Pleasing God is important, because the scripture says it is. But I want to cover it in a way that we're careful not to have the topic of pleasing God cause you to stress out. Too many people are under the attack of the enemy, where they get stressed out over whether or not they're pleasing to God. You understand what I'm saying? Some of you might have struggled with that yourself over the years. Am I pleasing to God? Have I done enough? Hopefully you understand, and and if not, we're gonna kinda take some time tonight. Look at what Scripture actually says about being pleasing to God, and hopefully you will understand the importance of it, and at the same time, take a deep breath. And that's where we wanna go. So God has already made clear uh, what pleases Him in His Word, some of the ways that He's already said. So we're going to take a look at that, put a bookmark here in Ephesians 5 and go to Hebrews chapter 11 and look at verse 6. I'm going to be just kind of running you through about four or five passages of Scripture that talk about what pleases God and how to live to please God, or the importance of pleasing God. And so we're going to pull from each of these passages a little bit here, a little bit there to put together what it means to please God. I'm uh, sorry, Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6, puts it this way, and without faith it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Alright? This is going to be the foundation of everything we're looking at when we deal with this topic of living to please God. What pleases God? Faith. Faith. Plain and simple. Faith pleases God. Not your work, not your effort, not anything you bring to the table. Faith in God is what pleases him. Now, when it comes to doing anything we do for God, the only thing that we do for God that's going to be pleasing to God is whatever has been done by faith. Anything not done by faith is what? Sin. It's sin. The Bible says anything done by faith is sin. Now, that's why it's very very important that you understand what God has said or what God wants you to do because, well, as you've heard me say before, faith can't begin until God has spoken. See, any, if your definition of faith involves you initiating the faith, that's not a biblical definition of faith. People will say, well, those Muslims that flew planes into buildings, they had faith. No, they didn't. Not according to the Bible. They did something stupid. And they killed themselves and a lot of other people. They weren't living by faith according to the Bible's definition of faith. You see, if you go back to Hebrews chapter 11, look at verse 1. It said, Faith is now the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And then it goes and defines faith for us. For by it, faith, the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. All right. How do you know the world and the universe was made by God? Yeah, but how do you know? Faith comes by hearing. Because God said it. Do you see what it? See what it, this is? What the Hebrew writer is saying? Because God said so. Let's do something fun. Actually, I'm going to tell you now. We're not even getting to verse 21 tonight because God, <laughs> God's got something that I really want to take some time to show you, and I just feel like He wants us to go there. Go to Genesis chapter one. <coughs> To be really honest with you folks, I love the fact that I, I just got an email today that Ken Ham is going to be debating Bill Nye, the sci- science guy, right now, at 7 o'clock, right now, he, he's debating him, and it's going to be played later on uh, on CNN and different things. Be praying for Bill Nye right now as it crosses your mind, keep talking to the Lord about that. I love the fact that he's debating, because actually, there's a lot of scientific proof that backs up what the Bible says. but. You better not believe it because science says it. Right. Because if you believe it because science says it, is that faith? No. The only thing that pleases God is faith. And then the Hebrew writer says, not only is it being convinced of things not seen, by faith we know the world was created at the word of God. How do we know the world was created? It's not because of science, it's because God said so. And listen, I'm going to do this real fast. Go with me. In Genesis chapter 1, look at verse 1. In the beginning who? God. Okay, jump down to verse, end of verse two. And the Spirit of God was hovering on the face of the waters. Verse three, God said, let there be light. Verse four, God saw. uh, other part of verse four, God separated the light from day. Verse five, God called the light day. Verse six, God said. Verse seven, God made the expanse. Uh, Verse eight, God called the expanse heaven. Verse nine, God said. Verse ten, God called the dry land. Look at the end of verse ten, God saw that it was good. Look at verse eleven, God said. Look at uh, verse uh, end of verse twelve, God saw that it was good. Verse thirteen, sorry, verse 14, God said. Look at verse 16, God made the two great lights. Uh, Look at verse 17, God set them in the expanse of the heavens. And uh, verse uh, 18, God saw that it was good. Good, Verse 20, God said. Verse 21, God created the great sea creatures. Uh, The end of verse 21, God saw that it was good. Verse 22, God blessed them. Look at verse 24, God said. Look at 25, God made the beast. Look at 26, uh, the end of verse 25, God blessed them saw that it was good. Verse 26, God said, look at verse 27, God created man in the image of God He created him. In verse 28, God blessed him and said, and God said to them, look at verse 29, God said, look at verse 31, God saw everything He made. Uh, Do you think He's trying to get something across to us here? If you kept going into chapter 2, even in the next first two verses, God puts His name at the beginning of His book about the creation of the universe over 30 times. Over 30 times he put his name in there saying, I did it. So understand what the Hebrew writer is trying to teach us now. Faith cannot begin until God has spoken. Your faith is not biblical faith unless you are acting in faith in what God has already said. Let me give you an example. If you walked up to someone on the street today and said, hey, if you died, would you go to heaven? And they said, well, I'm just going to trust God for that. You'd have to say to them, you're being foolish. Because God has already spoken as to what is required and that you put faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. He's the only way that you can be saved through faith in what he did. Faith is not, I'm just gonna trust God. That's why we've gotten ourselves into trouble over the years and confusion in our churches about faith because some people that use that word faith say, well, we're just gonna trust God in faith. That's not a biblical definition. You don't start faith. There's people out there that teach, if you have enough faith, well, you can't have enough faith unless God said something. You put your faith in what He said. Oh, by the way, if without faith it is impossible to please God, do you understand how important it is for us to not only know what He said here, but know how to listen to His Spirit when it comes to doing daily life and living by faith? Do you understand what I'm saying? That's why in my book, The Principles of God-Centered Church, the subtitle is Detecting the Whisper of God. Folks, I want you to become, as you walk with the Lord, and that's God's desire for you as well, and that's what we're going to cover in that whole study in, in, in the, on the cruise, the importance of the abiding relationship and recognizing the Spirit coming to and dwell and leading you and guiding you and teaching you and resting in the fact that He's going to walk you through it. Now, in the same way, we're not going to take the time, if you were to go back in the Hebrews chapter 11, the Hebrew writer then also used the Ab- Cain and Abel, as a demonst- or Abel's faith as a demonstration of faith. And just for the sake of time, the reason he used Abel was not because Abel's sacrifice was a blood one. As many of us have been taught, the reason why Cain's was rejected is because Cain's was not a blood sacrifice. That's not what the Bible te- teaches at all. That's actually reading something back into the Scriptures instead of letting the Scriptures speak for themselves. At that moment, had God given them the law about the blood sacrifices? No, that didn't happen until hundreds of years later at the time of Moses. Actually, even in the time of Moses when you get the law, were grain sacrifices accepted? Mm -hmm. Yes, there are grain sacrifices, there are drink offerings, there are wave offerings. The reason why if you look back at the Scriptures that Abel's sacrifice was accepted and Cain's wasn't is because Abel brought the best of what he had, the fat portion, the firstborn. Cain brought just some of what he had. Why does God respond? And you're going to see this in our study of what pleases Him. He's looking at the heart. Now, I'm going to just say to you about what real faith is. You want to live by a real biblical definition of faith? You've got to first understand it can't start until you know what God said. Faith doesn't begin until God has spoken. What has He said? You put faith in what He said. Now, here's the second thing the Hebrew writer pulls out from that passage. He says, real faith doesn't have a parachute. Real faith doesn't have a plan B. That's what was really going on when Abel brought the best of his herd, the firstborn, the fat, the best. Because if you know anything about herding, if you know anything about growing crops, you use your best as your seed for the next round, right? use your best animals because that's your breeding stock to make more good animals. What he did was he said, God, I so trust you, I'm gonna give my best to you as a sacrifice and I'm trusting that you're gonna make the rest of this work out. Real faith doesn't have a plan B. You know what God has said, even though you don't know how he's going to do it, you trust him and you step out in what he said. There's no backup plan. And the third thing he brings out is Enoch in that passage. Enoch walked with God and then was no more. And if you know anything about Enoch, if you go to Genesis 5 later on, you'll see that Enoch lived to be so many years and then God just took him. But what do we know about Enoch besides the fact that God took him and he never died? There's only one other thing we really know besides the fact that his dad, uh, 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 sorry, his son was Methuselah he walked with God. And we see in there that the picture of his relationship daily, and the Hebrew writer brings out about faith, when he's teaching on faith, and he's going to use men and women of faith later on to demonstrate this. When he's teaching about faith he says, we don't know what faith is until God has spoken. You can't exercise it until God's revealed. Secondly, real faith has no parachute. And also, here's the third part, real faith happens every single day of our life with God. And here's one of our problems. Everybody in this room that knows Jesus as your savior has exercised faith in God with no parachute, right? Hopefully you don't have any parachute. Some of you aren't going to the synagogue on Saturdays and hoping that works and then maybe doing your little Buddha prayers and stuff like that. Hopefully you've put your faith fully in Jesus Christ, right? You put all your eggs in one basket. But too many Christians today have only exercised faith in God when it comes to trusting him as their savior. They've never learned how to live every other day by faith. And the Hebrew writer brings out Enoch for a reason. Enoch not only trusted God, he trusted God every single day and walked with him by faith. So when the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God, don't use the wrong definition of faith. Faith is not doing something stupid and hoping God covers your rear end. (laughs) Faith can only begin Until you know what God has said. When you know what God has said, then you put faith in what he has said. You then do what he said, trusting the results to him with no backup plan. And you not only do it for salvation, you do it every single day as you walk with him. So (laughs) what pleases God? Faith. Faith. Real faith. That's why you got to read your Bible. every day. Yeah, it's the only way you're going to really be able to recognize which spirit's talking to you. Now, let's go to another, look, well, I'm not going to take the time to turn there, but write it down in your notes. Luke 18, verse 8, Jesus is talking about the persistent widow, you know, in the story about the unjust judge and the persistent widow. And he's just talking about the fact that if this guy is going to respond to her because of her persistence, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to his children kind of a thing? He wasn't saying that God rewards our persistence because then your faith is in your persistence. You understand what I'm saying? If you think God's going to respond because I've been faithful, I've continued to pray, I've kept on knocking, I've, He has to come through, your faith is in your persistence. Not in Him. You keep asking, and you keep, you keep seeking because you believe He's good, that's what He wants you to do, but don't put your faith in your persistence. But He makes an interesting statement at the end of that whole lesson. He says, when the Son of Man comes, will He find what on the earth? Faith on the earth. He didn't say when the Son of Man comes will He find people working hard, being dutiful, committed, faithful. The wrong definition of faith. See we talk about someone who's just doing, they've done the same thing every year and they put their nose to the grindstone and they've never had a day off and they've never quit, they've never done anything by faith. But we call them faithful, that's not the Biblical definition. When the Son of Man comes will He find faith on the earth? Folks, I think we need to know what pleases God. Alright, let's keep going. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, look at verse 4. He says, But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. There's a couple things in here that we can pull out to help us understand what it, what it is that pleases God. We've already seen that faith is what pleases God. Without faith it's impossible to please God. But we also see here now, where to live our lives not to please who? Man. Now let's be honest. Let's just be straight up honest. Isn't something that we all struggle with? And let me just tell you, let me just fill you in on something you may not know. There are lots of sins that are going on in this world that a lot of pastors in this country struggle with of different kinds, but probably the greatest sin that every pastor, including Jim Johnson, when I was a pastor, struggled with was a fear of man. I don't know how many times over the years I've seen in my church that I was pastor of or other churches, when God would speak to us as we sought him about a certain issue or a certain, whatever he was talking to us to do next, when we sought him and we got an answer. Our first thought was, how are the people going to react? I know it doesn't matter, but unfortunately it did to us. We were too busy. Too many pastors are out there checking the wind of everybody to make sure they're all going to be OK with it. Instead of saying, God said this is where to go we where to go for yourself as well. A lot of the things God may tell you to do as you walk in real faith and obedience to what he said, your family might not like. Some of you have struggled over the years whether or not you be baptized. You came out of a Roman Catholic background and if you actually got baptized by immersion after your salvation. Your mama might be really upset. And some of you probably haven't even walked in obedience to one of the first things God told us to do in obedience to him because you're worried about what mama might say. We're not to live to please man, but to please God. And then the second thing is, what's he looking at? He's not looking at what you do. He's looking at why you did it. He's looking at your heart. You want to live to please God? Get to the real issue. Get to the real issue of your heart. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look at verses 7-10. through 10. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all befe- appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now that word translated evil could also be translated worthless, and that's probably a better way to look at it. Where one day, we're gonna stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Folks, this is not the great white throne judgment. There are two different judgments. Great white throne judgment is not for believers. It's only for the unbelievers. Everybody that stands before God at the great white throne, they all go to hell. But for us who are believers, we're gonna experience the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat, where we're gonna be rewarded after salvation for whether or not we've been faithful for what it is He wanted us to do after He saved us. I mean, if all it was was just saving us, why are you still here? You're saved. You know, there are things he wants to do for his glory and for his purposes and shaping you and all that. And we're all, each of us have different lives that he has for us to live. Don't try to compare yourself to anybody else. Well, I'm doing better than Joe. Well, the Bible says that God may not have you live like Joe. He's got a plan for your life and a plan for Joe's life and all that kind of stuff. But one day we're going to stand before Jesus and he's going to hold us accountable for everything we've done. Listen, everything we've done after salvation, whether good or worthless. Oh, what's the measuring stick he's going to use? What you did? Or whether or not you did it by faith in what he said. Exactly. For years, I've been preaching for over 30 years. And I pastored a church, church of some sort or another for 20. And for years, I didn't understand this. I thought there were certain things I had to do and I was trying to do them for God and I used to think that's gonna count for something. Actually, I used to to treat with my wife and I still fall into that once in a while. You guys know what I'm talking about. You know, you wanna go play golf or you wanna go do something and you think to yourself, what can I do to make her happy, to get a couple of points so that she can let me go do what I wanna do. You know what I'm saying? Many of the time I've done something and said that's gotta count for something. And for years I used to think the things I did were gonna count before God. And then I came to realize that my righteousness is as filthy rags. I bring nothing to the table. I don't care how good the world thinks it is. Oh, Jim, you went and visited so many people and you preached so many sermons and you've pastored churches and all this stuff you did. Let me just tell you something. About 11 years ago, God began to walk me through a real understanding of what it meant to follow him. Even though I've been saved, he started to really continue to teach me about the fact that a lot of what I did and thought I was going to get points for will not even be something I'll be rewarded for, because I didn't do it by faith. I did it by duty and diligence, and it was my job description. One day you're going to stand before him. What has he said, and have you done it? Oh, don't let the personnel committee or the pastor or the nominating committee tell you what that is. You let the Spirit of God tell you what that is. You mamas? Some of you have been told to be a mama, and God said, that's all I want you to be. And the world will tell you, well, you're supposed to be this too, or shouldn't you be serving over here, and shouldn't you be doing this as well? If you really, we're all members of the church, we all need to pull equal weight. And over the years, we have listened to too many other voices besides the Spirit of God. Let me just tell you, His yoke is easy, and His burden is light. Too many Christians have never experienced that light burden, that easy yoke, because they're too busy trying to follow what everybody else is saying, the church saying that they're supposed to be doing, instead of what Jesus said you're to be doing. Oh, and by the way, He'll empower you to do the thing He's asked you to do. He won't empower you to do the stuff somebody else asked you to do. Go to Romans. Nah, we won't go to the Romans. We'll, we'll just go to 1 Thessalonians 4. We've got to keep moving. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Listen to verses 1 through 12. By the way, I want you to be listening for the, in the middle of these verses and see if you can catch anything that tied to last week. I'll give you a little commercial, a little heads up. There, there's going to be a quiz from this passage, but it's tied to what we looked at, something we looked at last week. See if anybody can catch it. And if you're not, it's okay. I'll just go home and cry because I'm a horrible teacher. But I'm just kidding. I, I'm a great teacher. I ain't worried about it. What's that? I'm abstain from sexual immorality. Yep, you, you, Thessalonians yep. sanctification. very good. First Thessalonians four. Look at verses one through twelve. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that you received, sorry, that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to, here it is again, please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God. who gives His Holy Spirit to you. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, for that indeed is what you are doing in all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you brothers to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one." I don't know if you all caught this or not. But in this section of how you ought to live as to please God, he actually described all the things that we just looked at last week, which were good and right and true in Ephesians. Remember last week we looked at how through the book of Ephesians he's been teaching us on what is good and right and true, sexual purity, honesty, love, earn an honest living. All that was right there in that one section. It's the same stuff. So as we begin this journey of living to please God, Understand, anything not done by faith, he's not going to be pleasing to God. But what specific things has he already said to us to trust him in? Sexual purity, honest, love, earn an honest living. Why don't you start there? Start there. And let God speak to you in those areas. And then from there on, he'll continue to speak to you and teach you how it all plays out specifically. All right? All right. Now, with that in mind, I'm going to ask you, as I just did, how are you doing in these areas? But remember this is a daily battle that we're in against our flesh, the world and the devil. And that's why back in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says that we are to consider how we live and to live wisely, not unwisely, because the days are evil. Look at verses 15 and 16, alright? Look carefully then, how you live, how you walk, not as wise, but, uh, sorry, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Now, let me just stop real quick. There are going to be preachers who are going to tell you what the best use of the time looks like. Are you to listen to them? Who's going to tell you what is the best use of your time? God, through his spirit. There's nothing wrong with preachers saying, here are some things that are good uses of time. But be careful of anyone that says you all need to be doing those exact things. You understand the difference? We as preachers need to say sexual purity, holiness, honesty, work with your hands. But how that each plays out for each of you is not for us to say. That's for the Spirit of God to show you specifically how that plays out. And that's why you'll see Paul wrestle with that same whole issue as he dealt with with his honest day's work, if you will. He would say to some people, we had the right for you to take care of us financially, but because of what God was doing in your situation, we didn't exercise that right. We took care of our own selves and we made tents so that we wouldn't be dependent on you and that we would teach you something. Yet in another place he says, look, the people that preach and teach are worthy of double honor, especially financially. So which is it? See, that's the problem. We try to turn Christianity into a formula. And we'll take a couple of verses where Paul said, we didn't exercise this right for you to take care of us, and we worked by ourselves, and there are those that say that every preacher should be bivocational. No, that's not what the passage is saying. That's what Paul was doing, God was doing through Paul in that situation. Over here, it says not to be bivocational. So which is it, folks? Whatever he says to each individual guy that's going to be called to preach. Some are to be called to be bivocational. Some are not to be. Some are to be bivocational for a time. Some are not to be. This is where I'm using an illustration for what we do that maybe help you and understand. When it comes to you, whether you homeschool your kids or whether you don't homeschool your kids, whether or not you watch certain movies or don't watch certain movies, don't let man tell you what the specifics of them are. Understand the principle, the, underst- the importance of purity and all this stuff. But when it comes to the best use of your time, We have allowed man to take the role of the Holy Spirit, and we start judging each other as to whether or not you're doing it the way I'm doing it. We've gotten ourselves into a mess, haven't we? We wonder why we have trouble with unity in our churches. We'll never have a biblical understanding of unity until we understand that God is the Father, He is the master, He's the one who determines what each of His servants are to do. We're all heading the same direction even though we have different roles. It's just like it would be foolish for the uh, running backs to say to the wide receivers, why do you keep running down the field? You're supposed to come back here and have him hand you the ball. It would be foolish for the wide receivers to say to the running backs, why are you standing back there behind the line? We're supposed to go down there. You understand? They each have different roles. They all have the same goal, the same purpose of moving the ball forward, but in doing so each has a different role. Some of you have been gifted by God to work with your hands and you're not capable or even called to be up here teaching and preaching the word. But you know what? Be careful of those who say everybody should have been at church work day. Not everybody's supposed to be at church work day. Just those whom God has called and those God has gifted and let them go have their fun and do their thing. Not everybody's out supposed to be. Some of you have been wired by God for evangelism and you just love sharing your faith and you don't mind going out into the street corners or out to the beach or knocking on doors. Does that mean everybody's supposed to be knocking on doors? I mean, well Jim, didn't Jesus say go into all the world and preach the gospel? Y- yeah, well what are you doing here in America then? I actually heard a, a, a musician back in the late 70s, early 80s, actually do a concert, a Christian concert, and he started preaching, which wasn't his gift. <laughs> Great musician, gifted by God, but he started preaching And it's recorded that he said this, Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. So unless you know you're called to America, you're not supposed to be living in America anymore and get out there. He just took the role of the Holy Spirit. That's not his role. So as we deal now with make the best use of the time because the days are evil, don't let man tell you what the best use of that time is. That's where you can begin to say, Lord, what is the life you have for me? What's the best use of the time that you want to do through me? You gave some five, others two, and another one. I don't care whether I'm a five, two, or one. What is it you've given to me to do? Show me. And folks, let me just tell you, once you start to see it, and you rest, and don't worry about all the other stuff that everybody else is supposed to tell you. Becky and I were meeting with a couple last night, and where the conversation ended up is, you know, it's one of the best things you can ever do as a Christian is learn to say no. I used to be the worst at saying no. I wanted everybody to like me. I wanted everybody to be happy with me. And so if they had something they wanted me to do, I tried to do it until I thought about killing myself because I was miserable. And God began to teach me. He said, Jim, you're not supposed to do all those things everybody expects of you. Folks, I even had over the years in my years of pastor people telling me how I was supposed to dress, how I'm supposed to wear my hair. I literally had a lady come to me one time. She made an appointment with me in my office. And so she shows up, and I've never really met this lady before, but I I, I said, hello, what what you want to see me about? And she said, Pastor, when you stand up there preaching, your pants bunch up on the top of your shoes, and it bothers me, and I can't listen to a thing you say because it's distracting me because your pants are all bunched up on your shoes. Back in the day, I wore shoes, now I'm wearing sandals, and I don't care what you think, you know? (laughs) She stood up and she said, you see, I have this perfect crease, and how the the bottom of my pants touch the top of my shoes, I've already made an appointment with my personal tailor for and he's only gonna charge you two dollars and fifty cents a leg and he's gonna fix all your pants. That's just one of the many. You got the same people telling you the same stuff. You got in-laws, you got neighbors, you got parents, you got kids, all telling you how they think you ought to be living, where you ought to be living, what you should be doing. Folks. I'm not telling you to become rude, but make sure you know what the Spirit of God's telling you. You're gonna have lots of voices. So, let's take a look at this whole... You also don't wanna be, a, you have that saying, don't be a stumbling block. Yes. And so you, well, if I don't do what they say then I'm a stumbling block to summer <laughs> and you're constantly fighting that. And that's what the whole point is. That's why you need to know when the Spirit of God says, in this instance, don't worry about them, do what I've asked you to do. In other instances he's going to tell you, if it's going to cause a problem in this instance, don't eat meat. Like I say, if you really look at it, all the way through Scripture you'll see the same Paul that said, don't be circumcised to those Gentiles who were told they had to be circumcised is the same Paul that had Sir Timothy circumcised before he went on this certain ministry. Well the, the, the key words are, are taught by God, for you yourselves are taught by God. Yes. That's what I want you to hear. I guess what I'm saying is, is I've seen this passage used over the years where preachers say, if you use the best, make the most of your time, best use of your time, and then they said, let me tell you what that is. Let God show you what that is. You need to be sensitive. Sometimes he's going to say, don't do this because it will cause a problem. Other times he's going to say, yeah, it's going to cause a problem. Do it anyway. Romans 12.2. Yes, yeah, so that's right, where you get to how he will lead you. Once you lay yourself on the altar, you'll know what his good, pleasing, and perfect will is. Yes it is. Yes it is. Don't get me started on how you're not supposed to have your church governed by a set of policies. Because you can't lead a group of people with a set of policies. Those of you who have more than one kid, you know that each kid, you love them all, but they have a di- you have a different relationship with each one according to what's going on in each of their lives. And if you tried to raise them all by having the same rules for each one, same policies for each one, how'd that work out for you? Even the same discipline doesn't work with each kid. Not every kid can have the same curfew you have to work with each one according to where they are, according to the personality and what in the world God through you trying to accomplish in each of their lives at that time. Again, it all goes back to: are we as a church really following God? Or if we turn Christianity into a set of rules and we start judging it whether or they're not you're doing it the way I think you ought to be doing it, that's why we fight over worship styles. That's why we fight over songs, music, whether how it's loud or too wild or too slow, and that's why we fight over evangelism methods. Oh, I love, years ago, I just heard about this, uh, years ago, the, the he's president of uh, New Orleans Seminary right now, his name's Chuck Kelly, he preached a sermon in this area back I don't think in the 70s or 80s. He preached a sermon entitled, Selling Records in a CD Generation. <laughs> and he talked about how the church has the same problem that the record people had when it moved from records to CDs. The message on each was the same, but people now had CDs, and if they're gonna hear it, you need to be able to understand and move to help them understand it. But the church is still trying to sell it on records. But again, does that mean man will tell you what the CD generation needs? No, the Spirit of God's gonna have to show you he's going to show you. And he might even have a couple of churches that are still using records because of what he's trying to do for the people that don't have a CD player but they still have a record player. Again, what is the Spirit of God selling? As I go to churches all over the country, I say to them, look, I'm not coming to tell you what a church should look like. I'm telling you what God-centered looks like, and then each church is going to look like what God wants it to look like. Listen, for now, and be willing to let God tweak that as He does when He does. The same thing in each of our lives. But now I want to get into the fact that the, the days are evil. All right. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verses 1 through 3. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. You women won't have to submit to your husbands for a couple of weeks because we won't get there next week like I thought. So, You're welcome. Ephesians. Ephesians all right. Good, good idea. Keep listening to God, not me. Ephesians 2. Look at <laughs> verses 1 through 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which in which you once walked following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all lived once lived in the passion of our f- passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind." And I love that next verse, but God. But look at how Satan is described and look at how this world is described. I want you to see it. This is very important where we're going to go. This is going to be very important when we get to Ephesians 6 and put on the armor of God. Folks look at how Satan is described. He's the prince of what? Of the, of the power of the air. He's the ruler of this world for a time. Is God ultimately in control? Yes. But for a season? And why? God has His reasons and we're not to worry about figuring them out. But God has allowed Satan a freedom, he's still on a leash, but He's allowed him to be in control of this world. If Satan, who is the father of lies, he is evil himself if you will, evil incarnate, well actually he didn't take on flesh, but he will soon. You know that right? The Bible says that he's gonna when he's kicked out of heaven ultimately is going to actually indwell the Antichrist. Listen closely. If the ruler of this world right now is Satan, we should not be surprised at the wickedness of the world. Too many Christians sit around talking about how wicked the world is. Oh, I can't believe how wicked the Folks, what do you mean you can't believe how wicked the world is? Satan's their father. You were there too before Christ. You should look at all these people and say they're doing the best they can apart from Christ. You and I still struggle with sin because of our flesh. Even though we've been given a new spirit and we're a new creation, you still struggle with sin, don't you? They don't even have any spirit of God living in them. Are you surprised that they're doing what they do? You can expect better. Now, we're going to go, though, and take a look, though, at what the Bible says. Look at Ephesians chapter 6 and verses 10 through 13. This might also help you have some compassion on some of these folks. And reach out to Him in love. I know it's hard. <laughs> Ephesians 6, look at verses 10 through 13. Finally, be strong in the, who? In the Lord and in the strength of His might. We're going to get into it. Don't get me going there now, but folks, stop trying to fight Satan. You cannot fight Satan. Satan wants you to fight him. You cannot fight Satan. You are to just submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee. Too many of us have been told to put on the armor and go fight Satan. No, 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 no. Bible does not teach that. But we're to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Do you see how things are described? What's really going on, folks, is we're living in a spiritual world. We see the physical, but there is a spiritual realm that is probably even more real. It was there before us. This is all the stuff we can see and smell and taste and touch was created afterwards for God's purposes. But the real world is not this. Too many people say, well, I live in the real world. No, you don't. <laughs> you live in the temporarily created world. You live in the terrarium. You, what are, what are those? you live in the diorama. But not only that, when your neighbor, who doesn't know the Lord, goes after you like he does, you're not fighting against your neighbor. There's something else really going on. It's a deeper issue. And understanding that, that's why the Bible says we need to be serious and understand, look carefully at how we walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time, according to the Spirit telling us what that is, because the days are evil. In John chapter 14, real quick, verses 30 and 31, Jesus gives us another little heads up here. John chapter 14, verses 30 and 31. Jesus says, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Now this is a very interesting thing, and if you really want to get into this deep, you've got to come on a cruise. But, um, but <laughs> Look at what Jesus says here. He says, I'm not going to talk with you much more. Part of the reason is, is because the rule of this world is coming. And as you know, Jesus at one point, all of a sudden, once He was obedient to the Father, He stopped trying to speak and teach and defend. He just took it. What did He take? He took the attack of Satan and all His forces on Him. Oh. Did the father know what was going on? Of course he did. Did he allow it? Yes, for his purposes. But he said, he's coming. The ruler of this world is coming. Oh, folks, one day he's going to be cast out. One day he's going to be put in the pit. And the Bible says for a thousand years we're going to live on an earth where Jesus is ruling and reigning. And guess what? Because there'll still be humans and there'll still be flesh. There's still going to be sin. But it's going to be pretty cool without Satan. We're doing his stuff and all his minions are going to be in the pit. But the Bible says after that thousand years of that time period, they're going to be loosed going to come and tempt a whole lot of people that have been born during that time period and they're all going to try to fight Jesus one more time and He's going to make the final battle and it's going to be awesome and then we will live in the new heaven and the new earth and never again have to deal with all this sin, boy I can't wait. But at the same time, for a reason and for a season, well we see in Hebrews chapter 2 that right now even though everything has been put under Jesus' feet we do not see everything in subjection to Jesus. Now it's very important, listen closely to what I'm saying to you here. Is everything under Jesus' control? Does he have dominion over everything? Is he exercising that dominion? No. Then watch out for anybody that tries to teach you that as a Christian, you can claim dominion over something. We've been taught that I can just claim dominion. Jesus isn't even exercising his full dominion. Why do you think that you have full dominion? Oh, you have promises. You have the fact that God said that he will be with you and he, if you run to him, he'll deal with the enemy. But sometimes he may let the enemy win. Wait a minute, Jim, did you? I'm an overcomer. Satan has no power over me. Oh, if God let Satan kill Jesus. Who's to say that he might not let him do something in your life? But I'm his child. He wouldn't do that. Oh, don't rewrite your own theology. Line yourself up with the scriptures and understand that in this battle, if you don't understand what the scriptures really really talking about, about the evilness of these days, you won't know how to handle it when God, for his purposes, doesn't rescue you from the fire like he did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I love their answer. Is God able? Yeah, but whether he will or not, we don't know. But even if he doesn't, too many Christians have had something like that happen, like happened to Job. And they ran away. Well, the Bible says that they showed that they really weren't. They never came back. They never really were one of his. Go ahead. I do believe that the flesh is the real thing. the spirit will not be overcome. Exactly. Satan has no dominion over our spirit. He has no power over our spirit. The flesh? Exactly. So, folks, I know this isn't the kind of preaching we like to hear, but I'd rather you know the truth. If Jesus says, hey, he's coming and he's going to have his way for a while, Part of his teaching there in, in, in Luke chapter 22 when he says, hey, when I sent you out two by two, did you lack anything? And they said, no. He said, well, actually, you're going to need to get a sword now. What he was saying was, is, I've been taking care of you. but I'm not going to be here, and the Holy Spirit's not going to be here till I go back to the Father. And for the next three days, you're going to be on your own. It won't be easy, and it won't be fun. The good news is, is we're not on our own. But please don't let anybody try to teach you that if you're a Christian, you'll never be sick, or that you'll always be wealthy that doesn't line up with the truth of the Word of God. I love how you put it, Allison. Your spirit will never be overcome if you're His child. But That doesn't mean that your child may not die. And here's my question. Where's your faith? Is your faith in the Christianity that you've written out that you like? Or is your faith in God being God? And even though He slay me, Job says, yet will I trust him. Folks, I don't believe we're going to be going through the tribulation. Am I understanding of what the scripture teaches? I believe the church will be taken away. But listen closely. That doesn't mean that we won't experience some real bad stuff between now and then. Because not only are the days evil. Remember, how long ago was it that Paul wrote this? Almost 2,000 years ago. The days are getting more and more evil. The Bible even said they will. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1-4. through 4. Second Corinthians chapter four. verses one through four. Second Corinthians four, verses one through four do one more passage about the list of these days, and then I'll show you how it's going to get worse. The verse Chapter 4, verse 1, and 2 Corinthians, Therefore having this ministry, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's Word, but by, op- by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God, and even if our Gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, Satan, small g you can see it, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the Gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. You understand? Even if someone if some doesn't understand the Gospel, it isn't because they don't, they're, they're stupid. This isn't, you don't understand the Gospel because you're smarter than anybody else. This is a spiritual thing. All the more reason why, when we want someone to come to know Christ, we do not try to think of how can we do a better job of presenting it, or maybe if I said this, or maybe if I send Joe, he's really gifted at doing this, or hey, Pastor Jim, you've been to seminary, why don't you talk to my brother, you'll do a better job. No, it's not a, of man, it's of the Spirit. That's why Jesus said, the fields are white unto harvest and the laborers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send laborers, God, you open their eyes, Father, you draw them by your Spirit, Father, use people if you choose. I understand that if they're going to get it, you've got to be the one to open them. This is a spiritual battle and it ain't going to be won by my strategy. Amen. God, this is about you. Revelation chapter 12, verses 7-12. through 12. We're going to wrap up with this part here. We'll come back next week with look at what it really means to be filled with the Spirit. We'll really break that down and I can't wait to show that to you because when you see what that, word, what that passage is really saying, it really kind of unlocks a lot of stuff and it's really fun. And there's been a lot of misunderstanding about the filling of the spirit as well. So, Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 through 12. Now, a war rose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back but he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives, even." unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea! For the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short." Let me ask you a question. Has this battle and the casting of Satan down to the earth happened yet? No, it hasn't. A lot of people will try to tell you that he has already been cast down to the earth. No, the Bible says, as we even see here, he stands before the Father as the accuser of the brethren. But guess what? There is a time coming and it's going to happen during the tribulation period. During that last seven years for the nation of Israel and the, and, and, and the city of Jerusalem. And the church, I believe, without question is another whole study for another time. We'll be already up there. That's why he says, rejoice, those of you that are already in heaven. But woe to you who are on the earth at that time, because he's going to be cast down and all of that. His minions who already have some authority in this world, going to be cast down and they're going to be given a lot of authority. And guess what? They are going to be on a rampage because they know that their time is short. Matthew chapter 24, don't turn there, but in verses 15-22, if you want to look at it later on, Jesus talks, and again, talking about the tribulation period. Too many people have tried to read the church into Matthew 24. Let me show you why I can prove to you the church is not even being mentioned in Matthew 24. Then I talks about the wars and rumors of wars and all this stuff, and we've tried to say, oh, look at all the earthquakes. So that means No, listen, he's talking about the signs of what's going to happen right before his return, and then he makes this statement. He says, pray that when the abomination of desolation happens, pray that when that guy steps into the temple, the Antichrist does This, pray that when that happens, it doesn't happen on a Sabbath. Why would he say that to the church? It doesn't matter to us. He isn't talking to the church. He's talking to the nation of Israel, who's going to be back under the law for that seven year period. And the temple's going to to be rebuilt. He ain't talking to the church. For too long, Christians have tried to read the church into every passage that talks about the end times. We're not going to be there. But for those who are alive during that time, folks, oh, wow. Bible says, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. That doesn't apply to now. Oh, wickedness is increasing, but it's not like it's going to be at the end. Go ahead, Bill. Well, I got a question. You were talking earlier Mm -hmm. about, you know, going out and trusting in God and everything. And Christ, when when he was praying before they were coming to get him, and then they came in, and the guy had a sword and he cut off his ear, why were they carrying a sword? I mean, they were supposed to. (laughs) Where did that come from? What happened was, just prior to that, why was Peter carrying a sword? Yeah. Is that your question? Just prior to that, that's Luke 22. If you look at Luke 22, Peter, uh, Jesus had made that statement. He said, when I sent you out two by two, did you lack anything? And they said, no. He said, well, if you don't have a sword, get sell your coat and get one. Someone else comes right there, one of the disciples says, well, we got two swords. He said, that's enough. In other words, I wasn't really saying you all need to have a sword. But he was just using the illustration of sword, meaning you're going to be on your own. Peter, because they had a couple swords there, we know Peter was one of them carrying them at least. When they came to arrest Jesus, immediately, right next verses, he misunderstood. He thought this was me. What Jesus meant, and he starts swinging the sword. And even one of the gospels says, "Shall we strike with our swords?" Is that what you meant? Jesus, of course, puts the ear back on and says, that wasn't what I meant, put it away. I I love the fact that this is a wonderful illustration of the fact that if you're trying to do something you think is what God wants, He's able to clean up after you. He's loving the fact that you're trying to do what His, you understand, let me give you an illustration some of you have seen me do before, Let 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 me show it to you now. Remember when your kids were little and they were learning to walk? Remember when they finally got to that age where they could like stand up and hold on to the couch or whatever? But they got to that stage and you're like, I want to teach you how to walk. And you stood them up right there and then you backed away. And you remember, you, you, their kids just kind of stood there, kind of wobbly. And they were all excited because they realized, I'm not touching anything right now. This is amazing. And you, as a parent, were back here saying, come on. Try to walk to me. Give it a shot. And you know what happened. The kid took a first step. They might even have made it, you know? And then they took another, and usually about the third step is where they lost it, isn't it? And they fell down. And you remember what you did. You ran up and you kicked him in the head and you said, you stupid kid, what's wrong with you? You didn't do that, did you? What did you do? You ran over, you picked them up, you hugged them, you wiped their bottom off, you encouraged them, and you said, I'm so excited that you're trying to walk. Give it another shot. Your heavenly Father's the same way. Sometimes we think this is his will, and we swing our swords, and it wasn't. He can clean up after you. He can clean up after you. Why were they carrying swords? Because Jesus had just said, get a sword. And why did they have one? I don't know. But you have to realize, one of the guys was Simon the Zealot. You know, so... He probably, was, he probably had more than two, but he just only, only showed two at the time. Guys, let me just tell you, your father loves you. He doesn't want you to follow a set of Christian rules. He wants you to spend time in the Word to get to know what his Word says. But understand, don't turn it into a formula. Learn to recognize the Spirit of God showing you how to apply it. Because in this instance, he's going to tell you, I love this. Let me end with this. In, in John chapter 11, Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And Martha comes to him and she says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Now, let me just say something real quick. All these years, we've heard the sermons about Mary and Martha. Now, and Martha was working for God and Mary sat at his feet. If you read that gospel story, you will see in Luke chapter, sorry, John chapter 11, that when word spread to the house where Mary and Martha both were, that Jesus was coming, Mary didn't move. It was Martha who, in that instance, ran to meet him. We've never heard anybody tell us that because we've always painted her as the bad one. No. Sometimes we get like Martha. Sometimes even Mary acts like Martha. Martha's the one that runs to him and meets him. And listen to what she says. She says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus gives her theology. He preaches a sermon to her. Someone word spreads to Mary. Hey, Jesus is here and he's asking for you. Mary gets up and she goes and she meets Jesus. You can double check me. Mary says word for word the exact same thing that Martha said. She said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus cries with her. How come Martha got a sermon and Mary got got just a, a, a consoling hug with tears? Here's why. Because in that instance, the father knew that Mary just didn't need a sermon, she needed a hug. There are some of us that we're trying to do, we're the mercy people and you've been gifted with mercy and your thing is, look, they just need hugs. Sometimes people need a sermon and a kick in the rear end. Sometimes they don't need a sermon, that's hard for me. That's why I'm not a real good counselor. Sometimes you wanna come and get compassion from me, I'm gonna give you a sermon. And I've had to learn. Sometimes I'm not to give the sermon. I need to find someone that can hug them then because I'm really not comfortable with it. I don't know how to do that, but you understand what I'm saying? You can't turn Christianity into this is how it's to be done. You got to be listening to the spirit. In this instance, does my kid need the hard hand of justice or they need to understand a little bit of grace? They're both there. What is God saying in this instance? Then you'll know how to please God. Because honestly, even if you swing a sword and cut off someone's ear and that wasn't his intention, the fact that you thought that that's what he meant pleases it pleases Him. He knows if you're doing it because you think it's right. He knows if you're doing it because you thought that's what He wanted. The neat thing about God is He'll teach you even in that. Aren't we glad that we saw Jesus put Malchus's ear back on? We learned a little bit about something Jesus even more in that, didn't we? folks? We'll come back next week to get into, he says, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Hey, We're going to get into another specific, and we're going to see that he says, be filled with the Spirit. And next week, we're going to break it down in the actual Greek to show you what it says. Let me just tell you right now, it's going to say this, be being filled. It says, be being filled. What does that mean? See you next week. Let's pray together. Father, <laughs> Father thank you again for the way that you uh, just to open our eyes to your word. Thank you for the way that this hour always goes by so fast. But Lord, at the same time, there's been a lot of stuff you said to us. My prayer now is is that, uh, as in your way that you've been patient, some of these things you've been telling us for a while, and you probably will till we get to see you face to face, but at the same time you are, you're looking for us to trust you in some way. Father, some of us might not be even aware of how serious the battle is that's really going on in our world around us. We think it's just the economy, or it's just my boss or all these other things. Lord, may we understand that there's a bigger picture going on, but may it not cause us to run screaming. May it cause us to even more understand the importance of what it means to, to rest in you and to know what you say and what your spirit is saying in this instance. Father, all of us have decisions that we need to make. You, you've made life that way on purpose. You've given us choices. You bring us to precipices where we have to decide, am I gonna go or am I gonna stay? Am I gonna obey? Am I gonna be chicken out? Lord, the, all of that stuff's going on in our life in many different ways. Some of us could be health issues. Some of us could be prolonged health issues. Some of us could be uh, one we just found about tonight. Lord, you know what's going on, but what you're looking for from us is not the secret formula to fix it. You're looking for us to trust you to listen to what you say today. Lead us to a certain doctor if that's your plan. Show us to just not try to find any more doctors, if that's your plan. Lord, show us what it is you're saying, and Lord, thank you for all the Christians over the years that were well-intentioned, but they were really Job's friends who said, this is what God's doing, and you're supposed to do this, and this is what's happening, and why this is going on. Lord, help us to lovingly tune them out, and to listen only to your voice. Lord, there'll be times you use a brother or sister to encourage us, and actually what they say is gonna line right up with what your Spirit's already been saying. May we know that's come from you. But Lord, may we know what you said first, May we not listen for what other people say and then think, well, maybe that's what God wants. You didn't design us to have a relationship with you via somebody else. You've designed us to have a relationship with you through your spirit living within us and you yourself teaching us. Lord, I look forward to teaching the things you're showing me already that you were trying to communicate in John 14, 15, 16 and 17 there. Lord, again, we look forward to being back here next week if that's your plan and having you teach us more about what it means to be filled with the spirit. We pray this in your name. Amen.